Warning, the following podcast contains spoilers for all published books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. You are listening to a podcast of Ice and Fire. Episode 156 for the week of August 10th, 2014. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to the longest-running podcast dedicated to George R.R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series and HBO's Game of Thrones. As always, this is Amin. And this is Kyle. And it's us today, Amin. And are you ready? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the amount of... The, the size of this knowledge bomb that's about to be dropped on us today. <laughs> so uh, our guest today, without further ado, according to Wikipedia, apparently, has uh, he's worked on television shows such as Dominion, Defiance. Uh, he's worked on Thor, The Dark World, and a little-known television show called Game of Thrones. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, and I'm very pumped about this, David J. Peterson. Hello, sir. Valar Helois. <laughs> oh, already. Already I don't Welcome know what we're to talking about. Welcome the halls about. of House Manwoody. <laughs> <laughs> ah, splendid. This will make a fine castle for me. Please vacate. <laughs> well, he just took our castle, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we haven't even offered him any uh, Dornish red or arbor gold. I don't know yes. what you prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Please, sir. Uh, <laughs> as a gentleman, of course I prefer the arbor gold. Oh, mm. what a bastard. <laughs> how rude. He comes to House Manwoody and pops some Arbor Gold. I see how it is. Ah, uh, it goes grape juice. <laughs> so uh, we're so excited to have you here, David. Uh, I'm, I'm pumped to to chat with you and somebody who's been so uh, instrumental in, in Game of Thrones and such. Uh, you've, you've done so much on television lately. This is wild. I'm, I'm pumped to chat with you. Yeah, I do a bit. It's... Uh... <laughs> It's gotten out of hand, but um, I'm maintaining because I have two cats. Oh, those cats, man. They take up so much time. They, they keep you grounded is what they do. This one over here, he's just the, the, the kitten, the kitten Roman. He's just laying down, and he's pretending like, oh, I'm so tired. That's not the case. As soon as we really get into this, he's going to be up all over the tables. He's going to be knocking bottles off the, off the counter. He's going to be doing it all. Well, if he knocks over that Arbor Gold, then we're good friends. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, let's tell us about yourself. Tell us about uh, what you're working on currently or what you can tell us. I'm sure there's lots of secret stuff that you can't mention about, but let our listeners know uh, uh, what's going on with you, exactly, Laura, if I didn't give a good enough introduction. Well, first, since this is an audio podcast, I'm six foot four, very, very burly, uh, extremely <laughs> manly. Just like every, I just wanted to get that out of the way first. Um, but yeah, uh, anyway, arms like tree trunks or something. Ah, yes, and a shaka red hair. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, the ladies are swooning already. There yeah. you go. But uh, let's see. So, um, so yeah, you you mentioned let's see, uh, Dominion, Defiance, Game of Thrones. I'm working on. I'm also working on a show called The One Hundred uh, for the CW. And I think that's the extent of uh, the material that I can say that I have. I'm I'm working on right now. And uh, I, I have a, a book coming out called The Art of Language Invention sometime next year with Penguin Random House. But before that, in October, 
I worked with uh, Living Language, an imprint of Random House, to produce Living Language Dothraki, which is a kind of beginner's guide to the Dothraki language. And I'm really, really jazzed about it. Oh, nice. So people will be able to pick this up and, and start speaking it everywhere they go now. Yeah, I, I fully expect it. I, I want to show up to conventions and have more people uh, speak to me in Dothraki so that I can appear flummoxed for a moment and then you know, try to grab out my vocabulary and <laughs> respond in kind. <laughs> now, I assume everybody, everybody who meets you assumes that you speak fluent Dothraki. Yeah, this is absolutely the case. Um, and with, with Dothraki, I can kind of fake it for a little bit. Um, but man, you get to things like High Valyrian, then it's like, no, it's, I, I go running for the exits. It's just, it's just too much. But, um, you know, <laughs> Dothraki, you know, because of the, the cor- through the course of the show, you know, Game of Thrones was the only show I was working on. Dothraki was the only language. And so um, I was like just doing, I was just spending, you know, every, every day and night just working with that language. So I got, I got pretty good with it, um, despite the fact that I really need like a fluent speaker to have a class with in order to feel very comfortable. But I did get pretty good with it. So Dothraki I feel okay on. Um, the rest of the languages I've, or the languages I've created since then, like not a chance, not a chance. I can't imagine creating one language, never mind creating several at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's easier when you do a couple at a time because oh, then when, really? then when you get tired of one, you can move to the other, especially if they're different. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever have a mental break where uh, you accidentally put a word from the wrong language in another language and then, oh no, whoops. Yeah. Um, I don't do that, but um, I, I don't mix up the languages when I'm using them. But uh, I do misremember um, which words or, or, or which languages I've created words for. So, um, and this happens all the time. I was just uh, doing, I was just doing translation for respect. I, I know I didn't have that one. I know I didn't have respect. It was a different word. But anyway, I went to go and look for it in um in high valerian assuming that i had created it but um in fact i misremembered having created it in high valerian i probably created it in dothraki and maybe some other languages but i remembered having created the word and just assumed that it was high valerian that i created it for and then when it's not there you know i just curse at the screen and i get i get annoyed with myself when when past me is lazy and past me is very, very, very lazy. So, um, I often do not have coined for myself the word that I want when I want it in the language that I want it for. Hmm. So, uh, Mimi and I were lucky enough to be at your Dithraki 101 thing at Comic-Con, but for people like Kyle who weren't there, could you tell us a bit more about some of the real world influences he used for Dithraki? You see how he throws me under the bus like that? Jeez. (laughs) Where were you at that time? You know, I I have my excuses. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was the first person to fail the Dothraki 101. I didn't uh, even, uh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I was doing public transportation that day. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. that's 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 cool. I mean, that's that can be just as cool as kind of like an exclusive, yeah. No, no, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. and uh, But then I got there late, and I didn't think they were there, and I didn't want to walk into the room late. I thought I didn't know how taboo that was. You absolutely should have walked straight in. Damn it. I, and I, anytime, 
any time that I am involved in it, unless it's a funeral, um, I'm going to say just walk straight in. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. well, here's the thing: we we are uh, we are the black sheep of the Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire podcast world, and so we don't get invited to everything <laughs> that's going on. And and all of a sudden, oh, Comic Con is nice enough, and they give us press passes, and we're excited. And uh, and then we go to we have this press event with uh, with a wonderful gentleman such as yourself. And I'm running late, and I'm like, oh shit, am I supposed to just barge into this room? My experience in press rooms is not very large so uh i had no idea and i wasn't about to bur- burst into that room so yeah, it went well it was very nice um at least from my perspective um for a different perspective we go to amin yeah i mean it was it was good i mean there, there wasn't a lot of uh we didn't have a lot of time to go into it in depth but for for what it was for a 20 minute 25 minute tutorial we got a good understanding and the language and where he was coming from but uh we, i just wanted to say like for people that weren't there could you just tell us like some of the real life languages you used as inspiration or sources for creating dothraki oh yeah so uh, so here's the thing when it comes to the when it comes to language i suppose you have the the phonology really the sound system you have the grammar and then you have the lexicon so um for the grammar i mean there were really no real world analogs i mean I, i've studied vast amounts of languages at this point so it's kind of like when you go to create a new language you just think what do you like what do I want to do with this language how do I want it to work how do I want it to sound like um, how do I want it to function um, and that's that's where I start but of course with Dothraki with any with any of these from Game of Thrones it always starts with the material that's in the books so with Dothraki it was the material from the first three books so I started there and made sure that um, all everything that I was creating would uh, would mesh perfectly with what was in the books, uh, grammatically based on my analysis of it. So that um, you know, I'm sure that somebody could have come up with a different analysis for for um, you know halaka uh, a prince rides inside me for you know which piece goes with which meaning there. Somebody might have come up with a different analysis, but I came up with an analysis and made sure that. Everything I created was faithful to that, so that you know, if you pick up the Dothraki grammar that I've created right now, and you think I just want to write the sentence "A prince rides inside me," you'd write that. You wouldn't write something slightly different or totally different. Everything that George R. R. Martin had created had to still be correct. So that was that was where I started, and that was kind of the most important uh, first step uh, there. Um, after that, it was just like, as far as the sound of it goes, I mean, it was really inspired by the words that were in the books um, and how I thought they, how I thought readers might think that they would be pronounced. So that's really the most accurate way of saying it. So not like necessarily how do readers pronounce it, but how do they think like a fluent speaker of this language would pronounce the words that are written like this. Um, and so that's how you get sounds like "h" in in Dothraki, even though we don't have that in English, hmm. um, because it seems like it would fit uh, for a word like "arach." Um, so I did that, uh, fleshed out the sound system, uh, and then from there, like I still had some wiggle room, so I decided to make it sound unique. Uh, I would use um, dental consonants for the uh, traditional alveolar series. So it's a dental series so that you have instead of ta, da, and na, and la, you have ta, the, na, la, like that. Um, hmm. 
and that was really just to to make it sound a little unique. Uh, but uh, for the for the dental series, the inspiration was Spanish. Spanish, uh, where we where we have alveolar, Spanish has dental sounds, and it gives it just a slightly different sound. Um, and then, hmm. um, and so uh, for pronunciation, then like if you speak Spanish and Arabic fluently, you should be able to get Dothraki very well. I think. So you mentioned um, uh, how closely did you work? Did you work with George at all? Did you discuss have to discuss anything with him, or did you simply just take the text and and run from there? Oh no, it was the text. But also, you understand at the time that I created like ninety percent of the language. This was before I was hired. Um, we were all, oh, wow. you know, you know, it was competition um, amongst language creators to see who would get this job, and um, all of us uh, had the same constraints, I guess you'd say, as far as what we were creating. But um, the the contest had no upper limit on oh. what you could do. So basically just created the entire language, aside from a few adjustments that I made in the six months following, um, and presented that. Wow. Um, and I, I feel very fortunate that I made it through to the other end because I probably would have never created a language again if I didn't get that job. <laughs> Do you know how many people you were up against? Uh, initially, it was like 40. Wow. Uh, pe- people dropped out along the way um, in the first round. Uh, and then, um, so I don't know how many delivered a final proposal, but I'd say at least 30. I'm Very sorry, nice. for, for the first round, so our first round proposal. After that, it was narrowed down to five, and one of our five finalists dropped out. And so then four went on to to Dave and Dan, and then they, uh, they selected mine of that. But uh, anyway, at that point, of course, none of us had officially been hired. We were all uh, bound by uh, NDAs, but it's not like George R. R. Martin was going to talk to talk to 40 people. It was basically, mm-hmm. it's like, here it is, and then um, hopefully everybody's okay with it. Uh, but And they they said initially that that George and Dave and Dan were all going to look at the proposals, but I believe it was only Dave and Dan that did. So now that you've created the language, you have the book coming out in October. Mm-hmm. Now that um, the Dothraki look like they're about to uh, take the forefront in the books again, do you do you feel do you have this sense that George is going to take the book and he's going to make sure that his the words that he has now in the book are going to match up with what you've created? Uh, he's, he's actually asked me for a series of translations uh, for The Winds of Winter, uh, which I gave him. But uh, you know, that was a while ago, um, so I don't know to what extent he's going to incorporate them if he needs anything new. Um, it's pretty much his prerogative if he wants to ask me for anything. Hmm. Um, and then once I give it to him, it's his prerogative if he wants to use it or not. Um, and if he doesn't or he comes up with something new, I will try my very best to incorporate it. Um, after all, there can always be synonyms. Um, <laughs> that's a wonderful thing about natural languages. There are synonyms everywhere. Um, but uh, this is basically, this is the same thing that we did for the maps book. Uh, he, um, if, you, if you've seen the maps book, there are a large number of cities in there that have Dothraki names. Mm. And so what he did was he asked... Uh, he asked me to translate a bunch of names, and then I did. Um, and then he also created some of his own using my Dothraki grammar. Um, I keep him. I, I, I send him updated versions of both the Dothraki and High Valyrian gra- grammars periodically, uh, you know, just for him to keep. 
Um, and he he's he used the Dothraki grammar to produce some new uh, names of cities and used it absolutely correctly. Nice. Um, he's uh, he always says he's not a language guy, but I think he has a talent for it. Um, no, not not that he should stop what everything he's doing and start learning languages <laughs> or, or become a linguist. But if you were to do that, I think he'd do a good job. That's great. Yeah, I, I heard you mention in another interview that he uh, he was just making up the words and he did a pretty good job at just making up these words and making them sort of connect to one another. Yeah, it's shocking, really shocking. Because if you just yeah, you know, if you just take fifty random fantasy novels, um, fifty one of them will have terrible language in it or, <laughs> or language bits. Um, I've been less than impressed with just about every example I've ever seen. Uh, and that's why I was very pleasantly surprised with uh, Song of Ice and Fire. I was like, it's like I, I couldn't believe it, that I was seeing names, and it's like, wait a minute, all these names look like they came from the same language. <laughs> why? <laughs> you know, the, the, the only place you see that is with Tolkien, you know, who actually went and created the languages, so of course they're going to fit. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just... It's just a mess, and it and it and it brings it brings sadness to the heart of a conlanger. Oh, how long how long before you uh, did the competition to to be the Death Dothraki creator? How long before that did you read the books? Um, I want to say negative three months. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So I started reading them after I got the job. Gotcha. But uh, uh, what, what we did beforehand is, um, uh, well, I already had a copy of all the books because my wife had them. Uh, what she actually did for me is she went through and highlighted all of the Dothraki terms so that I could, I could see what they were. And in fact, all of, all of the print books I have at the top, uh, all of the Daenerys chapters have a little highlight marker in there so I could just jump right to them. Oh, and then, I, of course, we, all, we read the Daenerys chapters um, especially, you know, the, the relevant one, which was about the wedding, which was the subject of the pilot. Hmm. Uh, but, but then after I got the job, then I, I went through and started reading all the books. So, um, by the time that, uh, Dance of Dragons came out, you know, that was, I was already caught up and that was new to me. And then I started uh, listening to that one. I feel like we just jumped right into it without asking you all the. We usually ask a couple questions to all our uh, our guests right right at the beginning, but we just we got right into it there. Um, <laughs> we were going to ask how and when did you get into a song of ice and fire, but you just answered that for us. Yeah. Um, and we always like to ask what your favorite characters are, or who oh, your Ty favorite character is. Tywin, Tywin, absolutely, and that that goes for the book and the show. Um, I I mean the first time that that Tywin is introduced, I, you know. I, I should remember the exact chapter and what's happening, but how dare you not remember? I know, that? <laughs> I know. But the thing that's so amazing to me is, uh, of course, uh, everybody loves Tyrion, and I love Tyrion too, because you know he's he's smart and witty and he's snarky and he's very very good at it. Um, and I, it's like, you know, some of the some of the things he comes up with, like, wow. I mean, the the, the fact that George R. R. Martin came up with all those is amazing, hmm. but. Um, the the thing with Tyrion is that he pretty much gets the best of everybody, um, you know. In the end, except for like, well, even the the dude at the Airy, that guard, 
who it's like he can't charm him in a wall. He eventually <laughs> figures out, I have gold. <laughs> like gold, right? But um, So he gets the best of everybody. He never gets the best of Tywin. It's like, and not only that, it's these scenes where, you know, Tyrion is just like mopping the floor with everybody, you know, intellectually. Uh, he comes and talks to Tywin, and Tywin makes him look like an idiot, hmm. an absolute yeah. idiot. And it's just, it, you know, it's shocking after all you get from, from Tyrion. Um, they're wonderfully, wonderfully written scenes. And um, it gives you this kind of sense of, you know, exactly. I mean, I mean, of course, Tyrion has, you know, the fact that he's, he's a little person. He's ugly by his own admission and all of this. He's a Lannister, so people hate him. He's got all that. But you see that it all comes back to this interaction he has between his father. It's like he's had so much experience, you know, trying to, ba- to match wits with his father that nobody else is any match for him. Hmm. But when he gets back with Tywin, it's like he's a kid again. And it's, it's, really, it's really heartbreaking and just fascinating reading. Um, and, you know, so I was, I was really disappointed when 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 Tywin when you know when he kills Tywin like I was I was really disappointed I mean it's a fantastic conclusion and it's what one might expect it's like uh, but even so Tyrion doesn't actually beat him and this is something I think is probably going to sit with him he doesn't beat him intellectually he kills him he, he shoots him yep. and and not only that he's not really in a Tywin isn't in a position to defend himself at that point so it's like he never, he never, he never got that satisfaction that he was looking for, um, and it's just, uh, ah, yeah, those interactions I think are the best in the entire series, um, and so it's 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 really a shame that he had to die, but of course he had to die. Hmm. I find it uh, interesting that Tywin and Stannis kind of had this begrudging respect of each other. Like Tywin always worries about what Stannis is doing, and then Stannis remembers when he was younger. Um, he visited the court with Robert, and they were really impressed by Tywin at the time. They thought he was uh, the actual king, but he was just a hand. Yeah, but I also think that if if Tywin could see more of the inner workings of Stannis's court, he probably wouldn't respect him as much. <laughs> he just seems like he seems like somebody that Bugs Bunny would just be, you know, running circles around. Uh, if Bugs Bunny were a part of the Song of Ice and Fire world, which is something that I still hold out hope for, by the way. What? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a there's a hair house out there somewhere. Like yeah, you know, just you know, in the winds of winter, you know, character, you know, you know, we get through, you know, the first few chapters, and then I could just hear it in Roy Dutrice's voice. Bugs. <laughs> the rabbit emerged from his hole. He sounds like a leprechaun. There we go. <laughs> well, he was buried. He's digging for buried treasure. He spied Stannis, looking at his <laughs> maps, and he said to him, "What's up, Doc?" <laughs> I don't know if I I might I might call it quits if that happens. I don't, I don't know. I'm done, guys. I'm out. I'm out of here. <laughs> We're all he wrapped up. He emerges from the crypts of Winterfell. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, tell me, what do you? What's with the increase in all the languages now that are needed for these television shows and movies and everything? I feel like in shows and TV's past, you had uh, you had Klingon that was around, but. I feel like nobody took the time to create these languages for, for different shows and, and fantasies and, and sci-fi shows. But now it seems like just your body of work alone, you have, you have so many shows that you've worked on. What, what, why? What's this increase in wanting a real language? Well, let's start 
let's let's start uh, from the present and go backwards. Uh, so we have Game of Thrones, where I mean, it was Dave and Dan's decision to do a full language for Dothraki because they tried to do gibberish and they didn't like the sound of it. That was that, and that was really where it started. Uh, and of course, also the fact that there wasn't a full language that George R. R. Martin had created, so that was where this came from. Uh, Game of Thrones uh, is enormous at this point. It's bigger than I think anybody imagined it ever would be. And so that is why you have uh, Defiance, Dominion, Starcross, the 100, and what have you. It's all because of Game of Thrones. Um, it's uh, especially for television. Um, it's just Game of Thrones is so huge that any possible way that you could be even a slightly like Game of Thrones, uh, producers are going to be interested in it and they're going to look at it. Uh, and also the, the mere fact that people know you can do it now know that you can both get away with it and that you can do it. There are a lot of people who never would have thought that, oh, you can create a language and, and have it be in your show um, because it's not really that common a thing. Uh, but the, you know, before Game of Thrones, though, uh, you, have, um, you have Avatar, which even if uh, you know, Game of Thrones got started before that movie came out, um, certainly there had to be rumblings about it because it was James Cameron. Hmm. Um, you know, people knew that that was coming, but then, uh, a reason that you could have so much language dialogue in a movie like Avatar is probably because of the success of a movie like Passion of the Christ, which, where the entire thing is in a language that nobody speaks, um, like at all. Uh, Aramaic is a completely dead language at this point. There'll be some, you know, minority of the audience who would be able to understand the Latin, in uh, a passion of the christ and i think there might be greek too but uh nobody's going to get that aramaic and it, the entire movie is in it and people went and watched it so uh that kind of success is what leads to a movie like avatar and then of course the the one that gives the idea the the place where i see this as starting is the lord of the rings trilogy where um peter jackson decided to make these things as big and as full and authentic as humanly possible. Um, and that included getting Tolkien's languages in there. Um, and so, you know, success breeds not only uh, imitators, but competitors. Hmm. And that's, that's, I think, where this all comes from. And I think it really did uh, start, uh, like the, where you can look at the modern trend, I think it really did start with Peter Jackson's trilogy um, and not necessarily with, with Klingon. Like, if there had been no Lord of the Rings movies, I don't think Klingon would be enough to get us to where we are. Or, like, Enterprise. Um, you know, they, they weren't as big a touchstone as the Lord of the Rings movies. So I think, honestly, that's where it all started. Interesting. You, you And it's a good golden age for you right now. At the moment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll keep going. It'll keep going. Awesome. I guess we'll get into, yeah, into our listener questions here. All right. Uh, we have uh, F.T. Ward asks, uh, Cersei's Valonqar prophecy. Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, I have thoughts. I don't know if I want to share them. Um, <laughs> uh, did you see the article that came out recently? I think it was EW. Probably a bunch of people uh, talked about it, about how uh, George R. R. Martin had said that there were fans that had guessed the correct ending to the series. Uh, yes, I did read that one. Yeah, and I'm sure that, I'm sure that the Valonqar is one of them. I, I'm sure that somebody's got, got the right of it. Uh, to use a George R. R. Martin phrase, um, uh, I'm not sure if that person is me. Uh, I, <laughs> like, 
Well, when I when I looked at it, I was like, or when I heard it, I was like, well, immediately I thought, well, okay, that's that's Tyrion, but and then I, you know, you start to second guess yourself and say, well, is that too easy? And then you start to second guess that, where it's like, wait, am I am I just overthinking this? Yep. Like, uh, but uh, I mean, if you if you step back and say it's not like you know you know Valonqar doesn't refer to necessarily to Cersei's younger brother, but to like anybody. I mean, it could be anybody. Like, you know. Younger brothers. Benjamin yeah. Stark shows up. Or, or just some new character you haven't even seen before. Um, that's the younger brother of, of somebody. Like, uh, <laughs> like, you know, who's that, um, who's that little rabbit that hangs around with Bugs Bunny? Like, it could be him. Buster? Is it Buster? Is it Buster? <laughs> From Tiny Toons? Oh, Buster. Oh, Buster is the Valonqar. Okay, let's start that. Because... Um, <laughs> That meme needs to get, needs to get get going. Oh, good old Tiny Toons. Yeah, <laughs> man. You know, if Tiny Toons were still around, they would do like a Game of Thrones episode. Ah, oh, I'd be all over that. Oh yeah, they would. Incredible. Who would be the could... Dothraki in the Tiny Toons world? I wonder. Hmm. Oh, I get. Like I first thought of Montana Max. Yep. Um, but it doesn't seem as obvious. And it'd be Taz. great though, because remember... uh, oh yeah, what's his name in Tiny Toons? The baby Taz. Yes. I don't even know. Baby Taz. That's that's even better. No, he's definitely the Rocky. And then you you have remember the uh, the fortune telling blonde haired duck that for some reason spoke like a valley girl. She'd totally be <laughs> Melisandre. <laughs> awesome. Oh gosh, somebody needs to mock these up. Uh, mm. Daffy could be Tyrion. All right. If I knew how to Photoshop, I'd be on this right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I so it's like yeah, but to answer answer the question, my immediate thought was just Tyrion. My immediate like you know just reaction was like, well, of course it's Tyrion. But um, I honestly do like what um, I do like some uh, what some people are saying that it could be Jamie. I think that would be really interesting. And what it matters is, I mean, it, the surprise has to be there for Cersei. She has the one to be surprised, even if we, if we realize these theories. So, and True. that would be a surprise to her. Right? Yeah. That'll the happen. The gypsy woman was right. Damn her. <laughs> Man. So when you read that article, you you assumed he was talking about the Vlankwar, or or you just, or was there oh, other like, things that you came to mind? Every, everything. Yeah. I, I assumed, like when I was reading that, I assumed he was talking about everything. Anything that could possibly be a mystery... There's so many people talking about it. I bet somebody has come up with every single answer. Maybe not one person coming up with each answer, but collectively the group has. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. I like how he said in the article, maybe one or two people have figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, George. Very yeah. interesting. Oh, well, we figured out a few on the podcast even. There we so. go. We'll see when they, when they come out. Maybe <laughs> even... It'd be even better, you know. He could he could just go out there and say, four people have figured it out, and they figured it out between the years two thousand seven and two thousand nine. Oh my God! There'd be a witch hunt on the Westeros forums. <laughs> be wild. That'd be wild. All right, Amin. Next question. What do you okay, got? Let's move on. Oh, I will mention the question similar. Somebody would ask Amon's last words in relation to the genders of High Valyrian. Do you have any comments okay. on that? Yes. Okay. There are several questions related this because I've looked at your document here and so um, I answered this I thought fairly definitively on my blog but I know not everybody looks at that thing 
So I will go ahead and give you the definitive answer here. So essentially, I mean, so the question is, does he have any inside Eamon's last words when considering the four genders of High Valyrian? What the question really is, is like, hey, you know that High Valyrian is not supposed to have any genders. Why does it have genders? Um, and I have to say, when I saw this, like, because I, when I actually was browsing through the Westeros forum and there were people were like talking about a potential Valyrian language, they say, well, of course, the Valyrian language won't have any genders. I was completely baffled, absolutely baffled, because I came away with pretty much the exact op opposite interpretation. But um, it all comes from this exchange in A Feast of Crows. So they're on Bravos, and Master Eamon is talking to um, uh, Sam, right? Mm-hmm, yep. And then he's talking about the, uh, the prophecy. He says, no one ever looked for a girl. It was a prince that was promised, not a princess. Rhaegar, I thought, the smoke was from blah, 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 blah. Salt, tears, he shared my belief it was young, blah, 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 blah. Right, whole bunch, bleeding star, comet. What fools we were who thought ourselves so wise. The error crept in from the translation. Dragons are neither male nor female. Barth saw the truth of that, but now one and now the other, as changeable as flame. The language misled us for misled us all for a thousand years. Daenerys is the one born amidst salt and smoke. The dragons prove it, and so he thinks that it's her. So, the problem is, people read this and came away with the interpretation that, well, High Valyrian must be a language that has no grammatical gender. There are several problems wrong with that interpretation. Uh, but I will start with the linguistic one. Um, there is a distinction between real, what I'm going to call biological gender, and grammatical gender. And this is why uh, grammatical gender systems always get a lot of flack. For example, uh, German is a language that has uh, all nouns are either masculine, feminine, or neuter. Uh, and so, you know, German always comes under fire because the word for girl, Mädchen, is neuter, grammatically neuter. And it's like, well, how can it be neuter? You know, girls are female. The, the issue is that the word Mädchen is grammatically neuter. That's it. In fact, all words that end with chin are neuter. That doesn't say anything about the biological gender of the real world referent. That's immutable. Uh, so, for example, in English, we can all agree that English is a language that has no grammatical gender. We have it in our third-person pronouns, but that's it. And so, if you look at a word like man, it has no gender. A word woman, it has no gender. However, the semantics have gendered reference. Hmm. So, man refers to a biologically male human being, and woman refers to a biologically uh, female human being, even though there is no grammatical gender in English. So, now we go back to uh, Valerian here. What he is talking about in this paragraph is biological gender. A referent that is a male, a biologically uh, male referent. That doesn't say anything, though, about whether there is grammatical gender attached to that word. And in fact, the word in English is prince, which, again, has no gender, but refers to a male referent. And so, really, what this paragraph is telling you, it's, t it's giving you information about, uh, A, the nature of dragons, and B, about the word choice in the translation. 
some whoever wrote this decided to use the word prince as opposed to princess. Perhaps there is no gender-neutral term to refer to either a prince or princess. You know, maybe child, but maybe they didn't want to do that. Maybe they assumed that it would be male, and so they wrote prince because when they were talking about the dragon. Um, but that, while that's very interesting for the prophecy and for the nature of dragons, it doesn't actually say anything about the High Valyrian language. Um, and in fact, so now that we're moving on to High Valyrian, when we talk about the genders, um, the genders themselves are named with respect to key exemplar members of each gender. There are four of them in High Valyrian. You can name genders after, like, you know, male and female. A lot of languages do that, but not all languages do. Um, it just so happens that they often break down that way. In this case, what happened with High Valyrian was that there were two main classes of words um, based on their phonology, their phonological type, that then got divided into two different sections based kind of on animacy and kind of on number status. So like whether it was a count noun or, or, or a, um, a mass noun. Mm-hmm. And that ended up producing four genders. So for like phonological class A, there was kind of an animate and inanimate. And then for phonological class B, there was an animate and inanimate. It so happens that the words for man and woman, vala and abra, both fall into the exact same pattern. So it wouldn't make sense to uh, treat them differently because grammatically they're treated exactly the same. So that ended up, you know, that is, uh, that's basically why the uh, masculine and feminine didn't work because it just didn't, it didn't fit with those words. They weren't the key exemplars, whereas they usually are in languages with gender, um, where, uh, you know, the words for man and woman will be a part of different classes. Uh, since they were part of the same class, what they did was they looked for basically these exemplars that would typify the difference. So one from phonological class B, one from phonological class A, and then amongst those, ones that illustrated the difference between kind of the mass count or kind of like animate-inanimate distinction. And that's where they uh, hit upon uh, sun and moon, because the word for sun is um, completely forgotten by me. Is it vesos? <laughs> Shoot. I don't know it. <laughs> Just a second. Let me, I'll, I'll pull this up real quick. Okay. All right. I want to get this right. Yeah. The, oh, I did have it. Okay. The word for sun is vesos, and then it's a part of that uh, solar class. So that's where the name comes from. And then its opposite is moon, which is from the other class. The word for moon is hura. Uh, and then contrasting with those, so the sun and the moon are countable objects that you can see in the night sky and point to and say those are things that we can count. Other things that you can't count are substances. And that was where uh, they came with kind of like the, uh, the opposites of these. So for the sun, its opposite is kind of land. Um, and that's where you get the terrestrial class, which is just the best word um, in English for that. Word for land is, is uh, tegon, tegon with an O. So tegon is kind of like ground or earth or dirt, right? Mm-hmm. And then the word for water is yedar. And so that belongs to the other class. And so basically that was where the four gender system came from. Uh, it's not, it, it does, the, the nomenclature doesn't make reference to biological gender, but it still works in the exact same way the gender system does that you'd see in like uh, Latin or, or Greek or Spanish or German. 
any of those languages. It works precisely the same way. It's just uh, its origin was slightly different from where the gender systems of Indo-European languages came from. So um, hopefully that should answer every question related to the gender of the system of Valyrian. There we go. How about accents? When you're creating a language, uh, is there, do you have particular accents in minds? In mind, excuse me. Like, uh, uh, is there a different high Valerian accent than a low Valerian accent, or is it is it strictly well, the language? Or well, they're different languages, so of course. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, it, it yeah. that's an interesting question because it's kind of hard to define what accent is. I mean, even even as a linguist, it's it's hard to define what accent is. It's a loose association of pronunciations and intonational patterns that characterize a speech group. Okay, actually, I guess I did just define it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and it's like, but how you actually do that, it's, it, I don't know, I, would, I wouldn't say it's even defined anywhere um, in the document, because uh, kind of, it's kind of really difficult to define. Uh, you can define the pronunciation of sounds very easily. And then, but even so, for Dothraki, it was like, like for myself, I would speak it a different way when I was doing lines for Drogo versus when I was doing lines for uh, Jorah Dani versus when I was doing lines for Rakharo and Eri. Um, and I think that was just kind of inflection, really. Hmm. Um, so it's like the intonations all match, but maybe they might fit together slightly differently for different speakers, uh, even though they're kind of all part of the same group, except for the non-native versus native. Uh, for Valyrian, um, and I actually did this, so, so for High Valyrian, uh, I was kind of led by the, um, by the long vowels of High Valyrian. They, they give it a certain rhythm that, where you have to linger over the long vowels, and so it kind of produces a thing. But after I started hearing how Amelia Clark was doing it in season three, I kind of changed the way that I pronounced High Valyrian to match her because I really liked the way she did it. Um, you know, that was very, it was very natural and very good. So now when I'm doing High Valyrian, I kind of, I kind of match her intonational patterns, mm. uh, which I thought were very key, were very spot on. Um, and then for, uh, for Estepori Valyrian, uh, again, um, I matched uh, Jacob Anderson, who is the best, the best, created language performer I've ever seen. Uh, I, I can but try to sound like him. He's amazing. Oh, wow. Um, That's quite a like skill. When, oh, it's just when I was doing it, it was much harsher, much dirtier. Uh, he did it in a very interesting way. But then, yeah, when, when Jacob Anderson did it, it was just basically, when he speaks any line, I just want to faint and send him <laughs> money and chocolates. Uh, that's and so, so that's so exciting when uh, you write out the language and you have it written and everything, but then to to hand it off to an actor and to hear it really come come to life in that way, it must be oh, very exciting for you. That guy is just the best. He's just the best. I love him. And so, yeah, now when I do Astapori Valerian, I try to match him as best I can. But uh, even so, only he can be he. He's incredible. Um, so, uh, so yeah, with accents, I mean, I do, uh, I do keep this in mind. If, if you're asking, do I keep, do I like refer to any real world accents? Uh, generally not. I just kind of, you know, it's just kind of like you imagine what the character is and how they might do it. And then, uh, kind of work with what the language is giving you. Um, I just did a fun one for episode. It's kind of like, <laughs> I, I, I want to see what the guy's going to do with it. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. It's a different. It's a different kind of uh, lilt uh, to to the old Astapori Valyrian, and it's it's kind of funny to me. So. Nice. <laughs> I always have yeah, such a problem. <laughs> I always have such a problems with accents because I did. I took French in high school, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm terrible at it. And uh, I had these French students, exchange students, that came, and I was like, "Oh, I'll be able to talk to them. This will be exciting." And I was like, "Oh, bonjour, and comment ça va, and everything." And they're like, "Hey, English dude, nice French accent you're putting on that." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm speaking French," and they're like, "Well, you're saying French words, but you're also saying it in an insulting French accent." Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Am I supposed to? So am I supposed to say bonjour, comment ça va? Like, am I supposed to keep my? I, I don't understand it. It confuses me." <laughs> yeah, man. Let me tell you something that confused me. The first time I flew to Canada, there was, um, you know, the, you know, the 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 uh, flight attendants will give, um, you know, instructions as as they do, and then on Air Canada they do it in English and then in French. And this was a this was a not 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 quite a. A Texas accent, but close to that kind of a Midwesterny Texasy type of accent. Uh, she first did it in English, and then rattled it off in absolutely fluent French with this Texasy Midwesterny accent, and it just <laughs> blew my mind. Like holy smoke! I never would have imagined I would have heard anything like this. But completely fluent, completely fluent. She obviously spoke French fluently. Amazing. Huh. <laughs> Very cool. What do you got to mean? What's next? Witless Chum asks, if you had to spend the rest of your life speaking a made-up language, which one? Probably something simple. Um, <laughs> like, uh, uh, the first one that jumped to mind for me was uh, a language that I created for, uh, it was supposed to be created just of, uh, amongst, from a cache of 250 words about, uh, and you only use those words, and it's very easy to to pronounce and and you know there's a small number of things you have to memorize called kelenala i would choose that one i like that one it, yeah if i if i had to choose one around the home i would use that one cuz it's it's easy it's short there's not much to memorize and you can always borrow in words you'd be surprised how often we speak in borrowed words in english um i mean every third word we say is internet or youtube <laughs> How do you feel about that? I think it was last week that uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary said they added about 5,000 new words, including uh, selfie, hashtag, emoji, YOLO, even <laughs> side boob got added. Yeah. How does that make you feel? <clears throat> well, first of all, I want to I mention the, the, one of our crowning achievements in the Conlang community is that the word Conlang was added to the Oxford English Dictionary, and that's the resource for the English language period ah. and that happened in June and that was amazing oh that was awesome nice yeah <laughs> well done now as for the rest I mean it's a it's a question of you know what's the purpose of a dictionary it's so that people especially you know uh, you know people that don't really speak that dialect or don't speak the language it's so they can learn what the heck these darn things mean um, and so if that's uh, you know, if that's the purpose, then, you know, by all means, if they're around long enough, you should add them. Um, I'm a bit less inclined to say you should add abbreviations, um, or not, not abbreviations, acronyms. I mean, I guess they do have acronyms in dictionaries, but, you know. It so, seems uh, strange. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's nice because, like, I, I remember 
usually what I would do. It's like you see these things pop up and you just don't know what they mean. Like, um, like the hashtag SMH. I had no idea what the heck that was supposed to mean. Like I made up stuff for it like when I would see it because I knew there was some sort of negative connotation with it. So for some reason when I saw it, I would think that they were saying Sam Hell. Like, you know. <laughs> I don't even oh. think I know what it means today. So much hate. What does it mean? Shaking my head. Shaking my head. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, evident, like, disgust. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it, it makes sense. But it's like, you know, people would say something like, you know, damn, you know, look at what that guy's wearing. Hashtag SMH. And I thought they were just saying, Sam, hell. I'm like, well, it's kind of an antiquated expression, but okay. <laughs> um, that, that's kind of the purpose of a dictionary. You don't know what something is, so you look it up and you find out what it means. And, you know, you can tag it however you want because, uh, like... Like people get weird ideas, like just because it's in the dictionary, it's a proper, and that uh, if it's not in the dictionary, it's improper, and b that there is this notion of proper and improper language, and that dictionaries have something to do with it. That's simply not the case. It, dictionaries record things that people are using, and it's not just one person, obviously, or just like a group of three people. It has to be a large group group of people, and so if a ton of people are using YOLO and and SMH, and you know what it means. And, uh, and yeah, selfie is big enough. Um, certainly like side boob is so compositional. I don't <laughs> even know if you'd want to con- include that as a word. Cause it seems pretty obvious. Like, like what is a side boob? It's the side of a boob. Um, it was like one of those ones that would have a sketch in it. Yes. Oh, it should actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. So like for words like that, when they're, when the meanings are so obvious, I don't think necessarily they should be included as words, but you know. I guess if they've attached, achieved special, you know, cultural status, then sure. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's like it, a selfie could be anything if you think about it. It could be anything having to do with with you. Like a selfie could, uh, in a different world, selfie could be your outfit. You know, True. it's something that's that's uniquely you at that moment. So it's interesting to note that it specifically means a picture of yourself. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's worth noting. I'm still probably going to say, you know, I took a picture of myself from here on out to the end of time, just because I don't like the sound of the word selfie, but you know, it's important to know that it exists and know what it means. So, uh, I am in favor of the inclusions of these new words. Excellent. So do you have any tips for any authors? Uh, who want to come up with, uh, if not a full language, but some words, some words of their own language? If they're writing a book, any 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 general tips for them? Yeah, hire a conlinger. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, uh, especially especially for people writing books. Um, ah, ah, but okay. So you know, like I I I along with forty others got the opportunity to apply for this Dothraki job, and that was incredible. But the fact that, you know, the other 39 people didn't get anything out of this was was much less incredible. Um, and the fact that, you know, we the way that Hollywood works is they only want to work with people that have already worked, mm. which is a really weird way to do business. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's the way it goes. So it's like there are, there are lots of productions who would sooner not have a created language then work with somebody completely fresh, which is the way that Hollywood works, which is unfortunate, but it's very difficult to change the culture of an entire industry 
worth billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. Um, what we can do, though, is start elsewhere. So like, uh, and I mentioned this later, if, for example, if, if George R. R. Martin had created a full Dothraki language, then I wouldn't have a job, right? Mm. Yep. We just would have used that. So what if for fantasy authors or would-be writers or would-be fantasy authors, people writing right now, that want to do something in a fantasy or sci-fi setting, that want to have a created language. What if they actually got somebody to do that language? And then what would happen if that you know, book was published and it became a successful movie or a successful television series? Well, they would hire the conlanger to do the conlang work because you might as well work with the person that created it and that knows it than hire somebody new. That's the one instance where Hollywood is going to go with somebody who has no experience versus somebody who does, right? Yes. And so now I know you're thinking it's like, oh, it's expensive. I'm a writer. I don't have any money, of course. But what you could do, you could always do an arrangement like say, all right, if you will create this language for me, then um, you know, I'll thank you in the acknowledgments. I'll give you maybe a percentage of whatever I get for the royalties. Um, you know, maybe if you, if they have a, if they if they're really involved in it, maybe give them co-authorship. Um, you could do things that are free at the time when you have no money, that will end up paying out when you do have money. Um, and I know that language creators the world over would absolutely relish the opportunity, both not not just to do what I'm doing, but to see their languages appear in any medium, uh, even if it's a self-published ebook. They would love that. And there are people that are really, really, really good at doing this. So I would recommend working with somebody if you possibly can. If you must do it uh, by yourself, then try to take a look at what George R. R. Martin did with his works, where he, um, where it, it seems pretty clear what he did was he, he took out these language, you know, chunks, said like, there's, okay, we're going to do this High Valyrian language. And what he did whenever he needed a word or a name was he took portions of, not portions of words uh, that have meanings, but portions of words that have no meaning. So like an ending uh, O-N, an ending O-S, an ending Y-S, and then pieces like uh, A A-E-R, A-E-G, um, L-E-R. And then he started arranging them in ways so that you were constantly seeing repeated patterns, which is exactly what you see in real languages. And um, they all had kind of the same endings. So this is how he made it so that all the words look like they came from the same language. And then, you know, someday down the line, you actually work with a language creator. They can work with that. They can work with that and fill out things behind it, as opposed to like literally just making up a word on the spot. For some things and not for other things. Those are a couple of very great tips. Awesome. Thank you for those. Yeah, no problem. So a quick question here. Leveler Steve wanted to know, like, if you're driving and you get cut off by a stupid driver on the road and then you go to Thraki expressions, you can say, like, to convey an insult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What is this? Hold on. There, there's something about, wait, that's that's Valerian. There's something about your, your mother here. Let me get that. <laughs> Also, maybe Dothraki pickup line. That might be good. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. That's too tough to come up with on the spot. What was it? It was like, send your, send your mother to the sea, wasn't it? It was like, I, I can't remember what the word was. <laughs> ah, how about John? 
Uh, oh yeah. So okay. like make make somebody walk or something probably as you said it was insulting. Oh, there's that. But let's say uh, my 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 my. Hold on a second. My my one. Wait, how do you how do you, okay crap? Now I forget how to conjugate the word for mother. <laughs> this oh, is man. shameful. <laughs> I can't help you out with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Once I get the book, then I'll be able I to help you out with it. Hando, let's see if I can find it. <laughs> Okay, okay, I got it, I got it. So, yeah, so you'd say, like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, that's to the sea with your mother. <laughs> that's a good one. I would try to say that, but I feel like I would insult you. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good, well, I think there was a couple of questions that caught your particular eye, David, if you wanted to get into them. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do these very 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 fast. So, by the way, yeah, how many real world languages do I speak? I've studied over twenty, but I only speak like two very well, and it's English and Spanish. Hmm. Um, wait, where was the one I just saw? No, not that. Um, oh, somebody asked about uh, Dothraki. Thank you. Oh, yeah, if there was a word for thank you in Dothraki, what would it be? There was a word for thank you in Dothraki, and it was Sanathjomari. That was the word for thank you in Dothraki. Uh, what happened was um, I said in my initial proposal that the Dothraki had no word for please, and then Dave and Dan extrapolated and added the line in the first episode that there's no word for thank you in Dothraki. So then I just deleted the word. So <laughs> that's why there's no word for thank you in Dothraki. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see, about uh, Dothraki and Valyrian, how far apart would they be linguistically? Very, very far. Very far apart linguistically. Hmm. Um, I didn't imagine that there would be a common ancestor between Valyrian and Dothraki unless it was so far back in antiquity that you it would be pointless to even, you know, uh, fit it together. You know, like if there was a common ancestor between the Native American languages and the Indo-European languages. Uh, Valyrian is not the equivalent of Proto-Indo-European Valyrian would be the equivalent of Latin. There would be some further ancestor that would be the equivalent of Proto-Indo-European, um, one that I imagine would also cover some of the Eastern languages. Um, and then, uh, the, uh, where were those the questions? Four and five. Okay, here we are. Um, how challenging is it to decide how much language actually equates thought when constructing these languages? Uh, as a fan, I kind of want you to go overboard and make the language completely about the philosophy, you know, the classic and the language of the Ordos. There are no words for the concept of trust or honor, or more than 300 for the concept of profit. Um, and then, so how do you balance the pressure to come up with a realistic language? The answer is that I go, I try to go with as realistic as possible. Um, so I don't do that. Um, it, you know, when it, when it comes to like, you know, Dothraki having a bunch of horse words, it's because they interact with horses a lot. So hmm. they have vocabulary to talk about that. But, but, you know, so do we in English. We have a ton of horse vocabulary. It doesn't necessarily characterize us. That's more about culture and less about language. Um, and I feel that especially if you want, uh, like, you know, George R. R. Martin's world is a fantasy world, but it's as realistic as possible. So I want to try to aim for as realistic as possible. <laughs> and not go overboard on the fantasy, at least not for this. Um, you know, maybe for a different project it would be appropriate, but I didn't think it was appropriate for this one. And, oh yes, and I did answer that one. Okay, those were the questions that I was going to answer. If you have, if your question didn't get answered, there's a good chance that I have answered it somewhere on the internet and you can find it. Um, try my blog first. What is your blog? Can you 
Let us know what the... Oh, Dothraki.com. Dothraki.com. Here yep. we go. Cool. Very awesome. <clears throat> well, thank you for that knowledge bomb, David. That was great. Hey, that was no fantastic. Problem. Thank you for having me. It, it, it's, it's nice to have a, a not a shocking lack of knowledge on our podcast for once. Thank you for bringing that to us. <laughs> a shocking amount of knowledge. Shocking <laughs> amount of knowledge, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to our podcast. I'm sorry if you have, but, uh, we <laughs> just finished the longest ever running reread of A Clash of Kings, and we are about to start our reread of A Storm of Swords. So, we are glad you are here with us to break the seal and, uh, hit the prologue. All right. Sorry to spoil that, uh, that whole Tyrion killing Tywin thing. My bad. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Don't worry about that. Our <laughs> listeners have read the books quite a few times, so it's all good. But, uh, Amin, what happened in this chapter? Well, in this chapter, we get a look into Chet's mind and his backstory, and it's an ugly backstory and ugly mind. We see his plans to escape. He's got a little conspiracy plan to get away from the brothers. And so we see what his plans are to get away, and we hear that the, the Lord Commander is debating with his men on whether to attack the wildlings or to retreat. So how do you guys feel about this Chet guy? He doesn't seem like a very nice person, but he was Maester Eamon's steward, and I feel like Maester Eamon wouldn't put up with a total ass all the time. Mm. Yeah. People, can, people can wear on people. You know, he, I'm sure he started off as a rogue, then became kind of a punk over the over the years. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Huh? I mean, I think he, he does have uh, he does have a bit of a point in it. Seems like he kind of was just kicked out of his job because of John. Like it was, he does have a bit of a grievance there. Like John wanted a job for Sam, and then so he loses his job. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Eamon was probably looking to kick him out at some point. Yeah, welcome to the real world, Chet. <laughs> <laughs> So he's got to have some cunning to him because he's been able to organize, what is it, 14 different men uh, into yeah, this yeah. plan. That's honestly pretty impressive. Um, though, I don't know, like I kind of imagine like if you put that much planning in, you would maybe think about, well, what if it snows? I mean, <laughs> you overlook some things, okay? I guess. It's always something. Uh, what it's I only one one or two days too too late. Like if it if it snowed a couple of days later, they would be fine. If if everything went well, do you think, guys think the plan would have worked? I I honestly don't. Um, I I think that uh, with so many with so many guys involved, I mean with with so many people involved, and a lot of these guys aren't. I mean, you know, they're the Night's Watch, but they're not the smartest guys, and they're also you know not like the nicest uh, guys. I, there are just too many variables. There, every single human being is a huge variable in this plan, and so many things could have gone wrong. I mean, he, it's, it's great that he got all of his people on for that watch, like all, all, all eight of them, but, you know, one of them could have sneezed or something. It, the slightest little thing could have messed it up. Um, I, I could see more ways that this plan could go dreadfully wrong than dreadfully right. Yeah. Uh, especially with them, you know, having to kill everybody silently, right? Because it's like one scream wakes everybody up. Yep. Um, that's really easy to screw up. Mm. And you had Small Paul on your side, who was a huge variable, both literally and figuratively. Um, 
and he was just going to mess it up. You just knew with all his questions that he would mess it up at some point. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I love the setup for that, where you think that, like, you know, if instead of what happens, happens, if, in, if instead, like, they actually go through with the plan, you just know his screw-up was going to be showing up for the second watch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I kind of feel sorry for Small Paul, too. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. He's kind of just led into this. No, because later on, he helps out Sam. When Sam can't walk uh, later on after the battle. Just that expression, thick as a castle wall, he actually uses that for Dunk in there as well. I just thought that was just uh, interesting that he uses the same expression. And then I was like, well, this is not like some long lost relative of Dunk, is it? Because he he actually fathers a few people during his time. It's Hodor's brother is what it is. (laughs) See, my big problem with Chet's plan was uh, Chet was making fun of uh, some of his cohorts who were planning to go back home. And he was like, oh, that's stupid because they'll know you at home as a traitor and they'll, and they'll hang you. And But my plan is to go to Craster's Creep where, correct me if I'm wrong, but whenever the Night's Watch go far north, they usually stop by Craster's Keep. And it just seems like the wrong place to be if you want to stay away from the Night's Watch. Hmm. He does think that most there, of them are going to die off. Though. Like, uh, <laughs> it's true. There are he's, lots he's hoping of they will all die off. So, like, to the wildlife. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just seems, uh, it doesn't seem like he has everything worked out. Poor Any guy. plan that involves going north of the wall is stupid. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Take that, Jojen. <laughs> but, like, you do feel worried for Sam when you, when you first read this, though, because even if they fail, it seems like Sam's probably going to die if they get started. Other thing. It seems like he hates him most of all, and when things go wrong, he's like, well, I'm still going to kill Sam. So. It's his consolation prize. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which itself was, I think, a stupid idea. He's just going to kill Sam and then go off with the rest of his plan? Like, at that point, why? I, I don't know. Yeah. Why do anything? Yeah. Just, you know, stick with your somewhat warm bed and somewhat consistent meals. <laughs> so... Ends up the others pop up at the end, and Chet does, uh, he does die in the Battle of the First Men. Paul does survive the Battle of the, Fi- the First Men, Fist of the First Men, but then later on, as he's helping Sam try to, uh, as he's carrying Sam running away, they do get attacked, and later on they encounter each other, and Sam stabs him with the Obsidian Dagger, and it does nothing, and that's when we find out that the fire hurts the whites. One other uh, guy in the conspiracy who turns good by the end, or at least goes back to his loyalties. Like, not all of them are bad. Hmm. In the sweet Donald Hill, they mentioned that he might be a bastard of some Lannister, or at least he claimed to be, which is interesting. Dun, dun, got dun. the looks for it. Any theories for that, I mean? One of Tywin's, maybe? No, probably. <laughs> you know, the other Lannister. I think Tywin would probably know how to manage birth control. So, David, since you're a big Tywin mm. fan... Yeah. No, um, I... Not doing birth control. <laughs> uh, the, that was that was the, that was the question, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Oh, yeah, the question is: Do you do you think Tywin was sleeping with whores? Then I guess. That, there we go. Was Shay a plant, or does he sleep with whores? Oh well, no, I I don't think he has any problem with it at all. I mean, you know, I I, I I'm sure he, he sleeps with many a whore, uh, and I uh, you know probably if they ever get pregnant, I he either has them killed or. Make sure that they have enough money that they don't bother him, hmm. uh, whichever one seems more convenient. But, um, you know, no, Tywin never had any problem with whores and sleeping with them. 
he had a problem with Tyrion falling in love with them, right? Yes. So uh, he, I think that he was fine with them just as long as they stayed in their proper place as he saw it. But he didn't want Tyrion bringing a whore to court at all. Uh, because I, they weren't, that wasn't the proper place yeah. for a whore, see? Okay. That's too much attachment to it. He could just replace, he just, if he wanted a whore, he could just whore in the King's Landing. But he'd be bringing one with him as just having like a, so much of an attachment. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how I see it. So it's like, I, I'm sure that, you know, by Tywin's account, it's like whores have their purpose. But uh, anyone will do. They're all the same. Did you explain uh, the whole Taisha thing, making um, that she wasn't a whore, that he did all that? I'm I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Uh, Taisha was uh, Ty- uh, Tyrion's first wife. Yeah, who was uh, who was a it was a whore. But then we have uh, later on Jamie saying she wasn't, which what? Uh, during the escape uh, when Jamie helps Tyrion escape from yeah. the Black Cell, uh, he confides. In Tyrion, uh, now not in the show, they didn't do it in the show, uh, okay. but in the book, Jamie tells her that Taisha was not a whore. Was that a lie? Yeah, that's in there. The thing is, from Tywin's point of view, Tywin would see like just like a crofter, crofter's daughter as a gold digger, and then in his mind, he'd see that as a whore. Like hmm. in his mind, he'd see it equivalent, even though she wasn't. I could see that. Um, gosh, I completely forgot about that. They get really mad at each other in the book, right? Uh, uh, yes, uh, they do not leave on Jamie and Tyrion. Right. Yeah. 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 They do not separate on good terms in the book. Yeah. Gotten that scene now. We jump to that that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> we're on that. We're on the chat. I uh, right. I, I went. Totally went off the went off the handle there. Yeah. So does anything jump out at this chapter in this prologue? Yeah. So you guys? Oh, I. I, I did want to say something. This is, you know, this isn't a big part of the chapter, but one of the things that I think is totally silly, but which I nevertheless miss when it comes from the book to the show adaptation, is the, is the ravens speaking. <laughs> and, and I love Roy DeTrice's reading of it. That, that's my favorite character of Roy DeTrice's <laughs> is the ravens. <laughs> Man! Is, is raven screamed. Man! Man! <laughs> Corn, corn. <laughs> corn. What does he say in this one? He's like dead. Is that what yeah. he screams? Dead. Uh, men. <laughs> but actually, you you have to pay attention to what the ravens are saying because some of them may have been influenced by Blood Raven. That's the thing. Oh. So what they say is actually important. Important. Yeah. Oh, die, die, die! They scream, <laughs> flapping its black wings. Oh, there's another one. Mate, mate, mate. Oh, well, wonderful! He's got weird taste, Blood Raven. So nice. Yeah, I, I, it would have. Uh, I think it would. I think I don't think there's any way they could have done that in the show without making it feel a little Pirates of the Caribbean-ish. But um, <laughs> you know, that's true. I, I love hearing the ravens say "corn." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't yeah. have translated. We got some Dolorous ad lines for you, Amin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Go. And. Uh, was that the part when he's shooting at the uh, archery con- the archery practice or something, and then he makes fun of Chet? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we have the setup. Uh, by the third book, we know that Chet is not in uh, for a good time. Uh, <laughs> those prologue characters don't hold up very well. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think there's uh, 
too much more of this chapter. We have Carl. Uh, we do have a Carl in the book, uh, just like Carl of uh, Flea Bottom from the show, but uh, a little different. He doesn't take the lead. Yeah, yeah, I only had one more comment, really. It was just the fact that Harma had 500 people a horse. That was pretty impressive for the Wildlings to have even that many people, hmm. that much cavalry. That many horses. Yeah. I guess like among the thousands of Wildlings, they managed to scrounge up... <laughs> 500, 500 horses. Yeah, it does uh, seem like quite a few for him. I don't know, what did you guys think of the old bear's plan or, the, or some of these guys' plans to actually try to attack that many wildlings? The sort of revolutionary war tactic, hit him and run, hit him and run, hit him and run. It had potential. They seemed very... Uh, they seemed very into it. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. And I guess I don't know the geography of the North well enough to, to, to know if that would be a successful tactic or not, but I've never been impressed by the wildlings. They seem <laughs> well they seem really high on themselves. Um and I just don't know if they should be. <laughs> I I so I I think that actually the uh the Night's Watch is actually a nice match for the wildlings because you have these guys that are just, you know, trying to scrap together a couple of rusty swords versus, uh, frankly, an unimpressive force. Like, I mean, can you imagine the Wildlings versus anybody, like Stannis or... <laughs> I mean, they, they, it's, it's a joke. They, it would be a slaughter. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Night's Watch versus the Wildlings is kind of like, like watching the Consolation match. <laughs> <laughs> the losers bracket battle. I yeah. yeah, World Cup third place game. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> I was I, I I was with that plan. I think it could work. Nice. Works yeah, I think they just needed some more men. They, it's still a bit low, but if they had a couple thousand men on a horse, because I mean, that's what they did. I mean, that's what Stannis did with his guys. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, I like that in the show. You know, Stannis just. Rides right through them. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's about what that's about how I expect that would go. <laughs> yeah, once you once you just attack, they scatter. Like oh no, no training whatsoever. Yeah, uh, you hear that, Mance Raider? If you're listening, come on, train those guys, me. Mance. You don't train impress them. me. Well, anything else about this chapter, guys? Uh, nothing for me. No. So do we want to do Jamie one, or are we? I, which we can do. It's up to you, David, on how much time you have left. Uh, well, m my wife has come home, and I'm sure she would appreciate the use of her computer. <laughs> uh, but of course, I mean, it's a shame because, of course, I love, I love Jamie and Brian. Um, and I, by the way, I do pronounce it Brian as opposed to what do they say in the show? Yes. Like, is it Brienne? Brienne? I think I see Brienne the show. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's it's almost like that's exactly the well uh, yes. I guess if if you did if you did cardinal vowels for them, but then ignored the fact that the rest of it is English, you could pronounce it Brienne <laughs> specifically. But it seems like an odd thing to do. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it, it just looks like Brian to me. I'm with you. I uh that's what I usually say when I'm not podcasting. 
<laughs> so, yeah. and then change it so I don't get stoned. But uh, yeah, I'm a <laughs> Brian fan myself, and that's probably from Roy Detrice too. Yeah, it, it, that that is certainly where I heard the name first. Yeah. Uh, it's better than uh, it's better than Breen or Brian though. Breen, what are we in Deep Space Nine? Breen of Toth. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, nice. and then of course, of course, you know, Roy Detrice also uh, makes his mistakes too. Like I went through an entire book uh, listening to Patire Baelish. <laughs> oh yes, I heard he pronounces the names differently in the last one. Yeah, no, I believe that what happened was I think it finally came over to George R. R. Martin and he heard it and said, "No, it's Peter." <laughs> oh wow! So was he like Pitire in bed when Lysa was saying it, or? Um, hold I'm on. Tired. I'm Pitire. No, 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 no. I I think it. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for your pun. Now I get it. But um, <laughs> I think he had actually fixed the pronunciation by the time. Um, Actually, isn't that all book four? Uh, Peter and what's it? And who's it? The bed is in, in Storm of Swords. Yeah, it's season is four. It? But the, the bed stuff is in Storm of Swords. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. No, I, be- I, I want to say he fixed it by either book three or book four. Uh, hmm. I'm sorry, book three or book two. Like, it was early. It wasn't just for uh, uh, Dance with Dragons that it got fixed. Because I noticed it when it stopped being, being uh, Pataire. And that was well before I listened to um, A Feast of Crows by the other guy. Hmm. That I want to say is John Lee. John Lee, that sounds right. All right. That's right. It probably sounds right because I said it earlier in the podcast, but it's also <laughs> probably right. <laughs> I, I think I've heard this before. It's a, it seems so familiar. Yeah. The only, the only problem is that I, I could be getting confused by, you know, John Lee Hooker, the, um, the musician. Because hmm. that's a name. And, you, you know, names, they're just all the same. <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us, David. Well, thank you for having me. Was- I have uh, long wanted to be on this podcast. Oh, don't flat. Don't. D- oh, don't lie to us. <laughs> I just didn't want to say anything because, you know, I felt like it, it would be just too shameful if I said, well... We kind of only talk to people that, you know, are really a big part of the show, not really crew. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk to anybody. It's, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time on a podcast of Ice and Fire, my cat, Roman. <laughs> nice. I was going to ask about your cats earlier if you gave them um, any sort of made up name that you had created or anything. Well, yeah, actually, my, my, my black cat, Kelly, her name is Kelly, but it comes from the word Kelly from one of my languages where it means tail because she has a lively and vivacious tail. Um, and as for old Roman, uh, his name comes from the same name as the main character of Starcrossed, which is a show I worked on because Roman came home to us on the day that the last episode of Starcrossed aired and then the show was canceled. And, uh, but they have the same markings on their face. Uh, so I thought it was appropriate. Oh. Yeah, and now he's licking himself. Good boy. Good boy. They've come to life now. George, George is actually a cat fan as well. I mean, he's actually, in some of his earlier sci-fi stories, he has cats and they play a role. In the oh, one of, my, one of my favorite scenes, like one of my favorite little bits of all time was when Arya finally catches the cat and she gives him a kiss right on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. Oh, that should have been in the show. That would have been cute. <laughs> we did get Sir Pounce in the show, though. Yes, finally. 
So uh, how can our listeners find you, David? You already told us Dothraki.com. Uh, yeah, are you on Dothraki. Twitter or anything? Or? Dothraki.com is an easy way. I am uh, very active on Twitter. I'm usually more active than I should be because I should be doing work. <laughs> but uh, I am at Twitter, at, at Twitter, I am Daedalus, but Daedalus is spelled with a V, and I apologize for that, but I'm stuck with it now. I use it everywhere. So it's D-E-D-A-L-V-S, and I have that same... Uh, moniker on like just about everything. So my Tumblr is Daedalus.tumblr.com um, and I'm Daedalus other places. The only place where I'm not is Instagram where somebody took my handle. Bastard. And so I'll never be on Instagram for that. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're not like hotpink69 at, at whatever.com. Okay, that was my second choice, but it was taken too. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. I know. <laughs> Well, maybe we should take arms like tree trunks. <laughs> arms like tree trunks. And I suck a red hair. <laughs> it was by the name of Homer. Homer. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much yeah, for being with you. us today. We had an absolute blast chatting with you. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, a wonderful podcast you have here. And I'm very appreciative to have been on it. Thank you, thank you. I hope you'll join us again one time when we have a uh, Jamie chapter to do. Do you have a particular mm. favorite? Oh, dude, I actually have a number of favorite chapters. Let me ask this. I want to come back for one of the chapters where one of the red priests is giving their spiels, because I thought those were really excellently written. I love those. Like one of the random ones, not, not Melisandre, one of the random ones. All right. Yeah. I mean, you'll, 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 you'll know it when you get there. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was in A Storm of Swords or A Feast of Crows, but there was, it was one of them. I think it was A Storm of Swords. Really, really good. Loved it. A red priest, uh, it was chanting or was uh, giving a speech in King's Landing. Thought it was excellent. And then, of course, the red priest in Volantis in A Dance with Dragons. Love that, too. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. There you go. You got that, Amin? Well, listeners, find us what chapters are, those are, and then we'll get them on for that, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we would love to have you back, so we will have to make that happen. Well, if it's a Dance of Dragons, it'll probably be 10 years from now. Okay. <laughs> and I will, I will try to speak more briefly at that time. I know I tend to be long-winded. No, that, it's excellent. Nobody wants to hear us talk, so it's great that you had such fantastic answers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you'll have a doggy bag on the way out filled with lemon cakes and blood oranges. Ooh. And Dornish red. Get rid of that arbor yeah. gold. <laughs> I, I suppose I can take some of that Dornish swill. There we are. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Uh, once again, thank you, David. You can find us at podcastoficeandfire.com. We're also on Twitter at APOIAF and on Facebook. And join the forums, join the discussion. So thank you all, and until next time. See you next time.
they would destroy King's Grave if they could. And when it is done, and House Manwoody is ashes, then you have my permission to cry. But until then, we fight. Join me, Maester Bane, and the other vassals of Kingsgrave at vokpodcast.wordpress.com. The dragon fire rises. Like anime? Like Game of Thrones? Then check out The Bastards of Kingsgrave. The bastard offspring spawn from the aching loins of your two favorite fandoms. Bastards of Kingsgrave. The intersection between a song of ice and fire and everything else.